Welcome to the Alcove. Today, fashion meets technology. Donc, je vais, euh, je vais quand même remercier euh, les partenaires qui, qui sont ici ce soir, sans qui cette soirée ne pouvait pas avoir lieu. Donc, bien sûr, M0851 et l'équipe. Marine, Marcha, Laurence, euh, Martine de Milagro pour les relations publiques de M0851. L'hôtel William Gray. Les événements Marilyn. Les petites bouchées d'apprenté. Les délices sucrés de sucre brun. Le vin, qui est une gracieuseté de jardin d'Emmanuel. Et bien sûr, notre fidèle collaborateur et partenaire musique technique pour le son et la diffusion sur podcast. Donc, si jamais vous avez manqué des fois des réponses, des questions, il y a possibilité après de les euh, réécouter. Um So we want to wish everybody a really warm welcome. This is our last alcove of the year, and it's our first panel, so this is a big one for us. Uh, we've been toying with, uh, with the idea for a long time of doing a panel because what we're all about is having meaningful conversations, and we thought, why not bring some different experts and have some great conversations around fashion and tech? Um, our goal tonight, first and foremost, is to make sure that everybody has a really good time. Um, including our panelists, who are, for some, it's, it, it is a first for them as well. Uh, but most importantly, we want everybody to walk away feeling like we've had the chance to tackle some of the issues that are important to all of us, um, including, you know, fashion, marketing, all of these things are now touching us as individuals, as consumers. And so we hopefully will walk away with this with some more questions and uh, hopefully some answers. So before we dive into today's topic a little bit deeper, uh, and before I introduce our panelists, I want to hand the mic over to Marine from uh, M0851. Marine Godefroy, uh, we're very excited to be able to host this event here today. Uh, it's very fitting given the, the topic that we're covering. And uh, it was great because this is actually our biggest alcove yet, so we were able to have the space to host the event. So I will pass the mic over to you. Hi. <clears throat> Well, hello. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here. It's actually great. We're very happy to host. I think that uh, I'm happy actually to attend. I think the subject is really interesting for a lot of people in our industry. So we're very happy to encourage uh, these kinds of happenings and lend our space. Um, welcome and enjoy yourself tonight. And we love supporting and promoting local brands. So this is really great for us as well. Uh, so let me introduce our panelists. I will start with Chris Chan, brand lead fashion and apparel at Google. So Chris comes from Toronto, especially for this panel. We're very excited to have you. Yeah. Carolina Jez, photographer, content creator, TV contributor, and founder of her personal blog and photography portfolio, Nine Blonde. Dang Trin, brand strategist of innovation, Essence. Viara Andijuru, senior director, brand development, Call It Spring, Aldo. And finally, Debbie Zakaib, executive director of Grap M. Mud. So a big welcome to everybody and thank you so much for doing this with us tonight. Um, you know, when we talk about fashion and tech, those used to be two very distinct worlds. And as we all know now, they collide every single day. 
The big question is how do we navigate fashion today in a world where data, influencers, and sustainability reign supreme? Um, there's no doubt that the industry has changed tremendously, and like with any industry that's, that's in transformation, it's a real challenge to adapt to the new reality, both for retailers and brands, but also for consumers. When we look at the advances in technology in all sorts of different fields, there's this thing that keeps coming back, which is that fashion's kind of the last one to catch on. It's not the most innovative of the different fields. Um, so, so let's start with an easy one. Uh, <laughs> how do we use data in the fashion industry? I want to know from each of you kind of what role data plays in your jobs and, and how it plays in your day to day. Okay, for, first of all, I want to apologize that I think I may be the one forcing this entire evening to be in English. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, but at Google, uh, my world is immersed in data. And what's amazing about uh, the world we live in today is that everything that we do, uh, whether we like it or not, we leave a bit of a thumbprint. We leave a, a footprint um, that data can be collected. So if you just think about the most basic thing Google does is search. Right? How many times do we pick up our phones and ask a question to get some information? There's a ton of data available for the fashion and any industry to understand what is the pulse, what's the collective pulse of a community, whether it's in a local level, national, global. You can actually you know, go in and see search trends and what's rising. And I think with fashion, um, maybe it's lagged because people feel like it's, it's born out of creativity and our creativity should drive the industry. But I think if you can marry creativity um, with data to inform and iterate, uh, you can come up with much more powerful ideas and ideas that will resonate and that you can commercialize. Because if you give birth to a great idea, um, but it's not on the pulse, the collective pulse of what the population wants, it'll fizzle out and it's, it's hard to scale. So I think it's marrying you know, your creativity, uh, what you forecast as what's coming around the corner and using data to validate that, that can be a really powerful combination. So at Google, we help brands do that. If they come to us and say, hey, we're thinking about these sort of product trends or this kind of product design, we can literally go in and say, well, you know what, this is um, not yet a reality in Canada, no one's really picked up on it, but if we go drill down to Manhattan or you know somewhere on the west coast, we're starting to see a bump in searches for this and people are searching for things related to this. We can inform um, that inspiration to help you go down the path. So obviously that's the kind of answer that a guy at Google gives. <laughs> um, very precise, but I think everybody really does use data. So I'd love to hear from you guys as well, kind of how it, it plays into your day to day. Well, I use it on a much smaller scale. Um, I'm a content creator, so a lot of my data actually comes from my Instagram. That is my primary platform. Most of my collaborations with brands and products are done via my Instagram. It's also my primary source of business. Um, so having the ability to see insights and seeing the target market, the age group, uh, the sex of my uh, followers, whether they're male or female, really allows me to kind of work on the content that I create and know what I should be putting out in the market that's going to kind of speak out to my audience. And it's also a great tool for me to use with brands because when I follow up with them after, they ask me questions like, so what country were you know your viewers from? Like, what was the age demographic? So for me, it's very important to be able to have access to those insights to further build my relationships with the brands that I work with and strategize on what kind of content we're going to produce moving on in the future. I mean, on that note, I think that the fashion industry is definitely led by creative. 
Um, it's led by emotion and intuition. Um, so our goal is to really promote that um, and to really sponsor that. So by you know having a data analysis team and whatnot to really support uh, the ideas and, and creativity that we want to put forward um, definitely confirms our intuition. And it's a constant balance of, um, again, intuition and data performance that uh, kept, keeps on going, essentially. Um, I would add that it, it allows for, for, for tradespeople. So example, if, if you're really good at your craft and you look to scale it, it becomes very difficult to keep that human touch. I know we, we talk a lot about data and, and, and the, the distance between humans, but there's an opportunity for technology to bring people closer together. So example, when you are um, a, a small artisan and you have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with your consumer and you know exactly how she wears it and you know exactly what she bought before, um, as you, your business starts to grow, that, that sense you have of what your consumer needs next or uh, should be coming back for or she would like this, that knowledge, you can actually scale it on an artisanal level. So if you look at technology, if you look at data as a way to um, scale that knowledge on a, human, on a human level, it becomes very powerful to really bring the consumer back into the conversation and, and, uh, and serve them better. Instead of feeling like you know it's your, you're feeding your business, you're trying to solve challenges that that consumer is having at that moment, whether it's through fashion or, or beautiful leather pieces like here or footwear or accessories. It's ultimately they're looking to solve for something, and if you know what that is, then you can bring value to their to their day, and, and data can do that for you at scale. Alors moi, j'ai beaucoup parlé en travaillant à la Grappe Emma, j'ai beaucoup parlé de l'industrie. Donc, on a beaucoup de perspectives here. People are talking about the, their company. I will talk more uh, on an industry level. Um, data, we use at different level. We use it to inform the industry, we, to inform the entrepreneurs, the uh, les gestionnaires, uh, on all the different information, uh, data, resources, programs that, they, that are available so they can make better decisions. But also, we use it as to show how important the fashion industry is in Quebec. So, for example, um, in, Can in, in Quebec, uh, 83,000 jobs are created uh, for uh, our in, our in, in our industry. So, 82,000 en fait, uh, emplois sont créés dans l'industrie de la mode au Québec. C'est plus que l'aéronautique, c'est plus que uh, le, le, la santé, c'est plus que... C'est vraiment une industrie hyper importante. It's an industry that is very, uh, at the economic level, very important for our region. So we use data to support sort of our, to show it's important and the government should be, uh, that should work with us to make sure that our, our industry, our companies have all the elements, the tools to be able to be, uh, to grow, to develop their, in, uh, their company uh, and stay in Quebec. So uh, we use data, for example, say that um, the Quebec fashion is seven, billion dollars in terms of revenue for for Quebec which is very important it's a, it's a, and so we should pay attention to our industry and all the people that work uh, to make it uh, very prosperous well thank you everyone for sharing those those insights on data um, Viara, you mentioned something that we will get to later which is really the human touch and I think that's important to talk about when we talk about data um, but I want to talk about the idea of trust. And whenever we talk about data, it's a little bit tough because we've become used to this as consumers that we want brands to almost anticipate what we want and what we need. And we want them to cater 
to our needs, yet we feel a little bit reserved about giving them our private information. So how do you navigate that kind of dichotomy between wanting to share the data so you can have a better experience, but then being mindful that you want to keep that privacy? I mean, we can, whenever you want to answer, just go. You're like, you can take that yeah, one. I think that there's uh, there, there's a couple of levels on there. I think that there's it's a good question, the question of trust, but I think that that with that comes the question of ethics and morality. So what is what is uh, appropriate? What is the right information that you can store on someone? Uh, and I think it's bigger than than our industry. And I would probably defer to Debbie, but um, I think it's also like as a society, what is what is appropriate information to store on a on a person and what kind of rules, what kind of policies surround that in terms of protecting consumers from not just uh, overt or, or, or um, I want to say, savage commercial interest, but also um, potentially hacking of, of any sort. Um, so for us at Aldo, obviously, it's a, um, it's, it's a question of, um, of cybersecurity, and it's a question of IT, and it's a question of, of making sure that you, you store with the appropriate uh, kind of legislation or uh, structures around it. But I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes, it, we as a society have to ask ourselves what is appropriate information to ask, to store, and to potentially share. So let me kind of come back to you on this. We're talking in, you know, very high level, but are there situations where, you know, you guys have made the decision not to collect certain data because it was too personal or it just didn't feel right on behalf of the, you know, the industry to be doing that? Well, I could tell you about a very personal, um, something that very personal that happened. And, and in human relations, it's always this question of appropriateness. And I, as brands, sometimes you go in an environment or you go in a territory that you're not, you shouldn't be. So I'll give you the example. We sent out an email uh, where we wanted to personalize the header. And it said, dear so-and-so, it was around Mother's Day, um, your mom just called. Well, we thought that that was very clever. Turns out that wasn't clever at all because a few people had lost their mothers, and Mother's Day was a particularly painful reminder. Um, and as a brand, there are certain things that you, you, don't, have, you don't have the right to, to discuss. You're not that close. So um, I, would, I would bring it more to that level of saying, what role do you play in people's lives, and, and how do you know how far you can take the relationship that you truly have with them? Wow. Chris? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I mean... I'll say overarching, we, we tend to get uncomfortable or get annoyed if the experience if the experience from brands is a poor one. But I think if whatever product or service that we are trying to build, if we can use data in a way that makes life better and easier and solves pain points for our customers, that's that's sort of the overarching principle. Like if you think about when you are grabbing an Uber, Uber's made our lives a lot easier. We're very happy to give away our the information of our location and where we're heading. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm speaking to the wrong audience. Um, But you know, giving away your location if you're looking for a coffee shop near me or something of that nature, or a retailer who knows what kind of clothing you've been buying in the past year, they're able to tell you. You know, these are the offers coming up for very similar looks and styles. Would you like to try this one? So when we gather data and use it to make the customer experience better, I think that that makes everything better and it propagates all of our businesses and organizations. Anyone have anything? I think people are, um, I read a lot about the subject because we were coming here. And uh, what they say is that people are willing to give 
data, if they get something back in return as a benefit or an advantage or a rebate or so there's a like a, a level, a continuum of how much you can ask for something in return. And also when you're engaged in an environment or in um, with a company or a brand, uh, you uh, you're willing to give that information to get something in return, but when you are outside of that relationship, you're sort of not, ex you, you probably don't want to get uh, um, that intimate. So when it's over that relationship, or that connection, well, uh, you don't, you should not be followed with questions or, uh, so it's easy to see when you're shopping for red boots uh, on the internet, and <laughs> we all love uh, red boots. Um, and then, uh, like two days later, you get advertising on Facebook, on, so there's all those. And, and I still get weirded out by remarketing. <laughs> like, it, seeing what I'd searched always there, it's like, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like it's a little bit, it's a little bit creepy. Yeah, it's, that, it's creepy. Mm. Invasive, I would say invasive. Yes, that's the, the right word. word invasive. Um, it works. <laughs> so, also, oh, okay. oh no, go ahead, continue. But um, we all think that that uh, all the companies are, you know, have ont entrepris le virage numérique, puis sont vraiment. Uh, mais au Québec, il y a seulement 14%, only 14% of uh, retail businesses that have a, a website, and it's not necessarily active or transactional. So there's, you know, there's a lot to be done still in that area. Uh, and there's all the big data, data gathering. The companies have a lot of information on social media or uh, on their customers. But at the end, analyzing that data is something very difficult. And the, the companies are not yet tooled or they don't have the necessarily the... Um, the, the training to be able to, and Aldo is, is a good example of a company that does that very, very well and very centered on a consumer. And they, they have, they take the time to have an innovative uh, culture at every level of the, the value chain. And they're very, um, they, they understand and they analyze data very well. So maybe you want to talk about, the, about that. Well, I actually... <laughs> I, I want to kind of merge onto something else when we talk about data because I think it's really important that we we touch on this. You know, you talked about the human touch, Vera, and and we talk a lot about intuition. I know, Carolina, you have a lot of thoughts on this as well. But you know, where is that middle between data and intuition? You're saying it's a, you know, Dan, you were saying it's a very creative field. How do you find that middle? Where do you know when to stop with the data? Where do you stop listening to the data because it just doesn't feel right? What's great about Essence is like the company is led by fairly, you know, fair to say millennials. So we're all extremely connected. We're always extremely savvy and things are moving fast. And, and there's this very independent mindset, one, because we're based in Montreal and two, it's just a natural uh, side of the company. Um, so, the, so you know, you have the left brain side of it. So you have the data analysis, the sales team. Um, performance team and whatnot, and you have the right brain side of it, which is like the creative, the buyers, uh, the whole marketing team and whatnot. So we, you know, we believe in the intelligence of both sides. Therefore, we work really closely and challenge each, each other on a constant daily basis. And every decisions we make is always debated upon. So 
you know, all the perspective is always looked into and discussed and re-questioned. So we were constantly challenging ourselves, therefore constantly challenging the industry as well. So I think it's a matter of like um, being very transparent about your thoughts and trust the people that is around the table when making these, these, these decisions. Um, but my intuition tells me at the end of the day that it is a very intuition-based, although data definitely informs um, these decisions. Carolina, what about for you? Um, I kind of agree with you, actually. Uh, first of all, I'm very open with sharing my insights and analytics with brands. The reason why is because I want them to understand what my target market is. So for example, for me, it's females that are 25 to 35, 60% of them live in Canada. My second demographic are the States. And I feel like that's going to make brands perhaps not market certain things on my outlets because it's not going to make sense for their demographics. So in that case, I don't mind sharing that data. However, I'm very big on intuition as well. I will take my data into consideration, but at the end of the day, I'm still a creative in my mind. I want to put forth what feels organic for me, and I'm very open to working with brands, but at the end of the day, I want to be the decision maker, and I feel like I know what works for my followers and my demographics. So, so I think this is kind of a good segue to start talking about influencers, and I know that this is a word that we've heard a million times, and everyone kind of has their own opinion on it, but... Um, if we look at, you know, the way that companies are trying to navigate social media now and use it as a business tool to enhance performance, you can't talk about social media without talking about influencers. It's just, you know, they're one and the same at this point. And, you know, over time we've seen a pushback on celebrity influencers and we've gone more to the, the granular, the individual, uh, influencer. And people tend to have, I don't know why, but a really strong opinion <laughs> about, uh, influencers. So I want to start by asking, you know, each one of you, what does that mean to you? What is an influencer and, and how do you use it in your business? Chris? Okay. Um, there is absolutely a role for influencers to play as you're, I'm going to come at it from a brand building standpoint. I think influencers have a role to play. And I think with marketing and as marketers and people in communications business, we tend to swing the pendulum. So I think maybe we're swinging, this is a personal point of view, I think maybe we're swinging the pendulum a bit far on influencers as part of a holistic marketing mix. I think it's the shiny new object that's popped up in the last few years. And some marketers may be defaulting there and saying, I need to have an influencer program because everybody else is doing it. Uh, the way that we would consult people is to say, what is the brand challenge that you're trying to solve? What is the barrier? that your brand is facing. And if an influencer can help solve that, then go down that path. Um, if, you, if your challenge is, you know what, I have really great product, or let's say I have not had great product for many, many years, I've reinvented my product and I need to get people to believe that my product is new and improved. And if you're trying to tell the world through your own broadcast advertising and nobody's listening, then maybe getting an influencer who's credible and can speak on your behalf and is in tune with your brand to say that on your behalf. And that can unlock that challenge. But if your challenge is something different, like, you know, um, people don't know what the values of your brand are, then maybe you want to tell a story. Where, what was the genesis of your brand? Why did you start it? What are the values of your brand? You may not need an influencer there. That An influencer might be part of the second stage of that story. But I would say start with what's the challenge or the problem you're trying to solve, and then attach an influencer if that's the way to address it. 
VR, is that how you've done it? It's interesting because um, I'm not a millennial. I know, shocking. <laughs> but um, one of the things is, is, is I saw how influencers came on, and I, I still remember the, the, the article I read, and it was the International Herald Tri Tribune, and she was talking about these blasted influencers, and she was referring to... Susie Bubble at the time, and she was saying how these influencers were getting the front row, and it's so funny because in terms of our industry, this idea of influencer without the um, credentials of like a re reputable either um, academic background, like a Central St. Martin's, etc., or um, having the 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 insider's view, like an Isabella Blow, um, or writing for a reputable. Um, storied um, chronicle or periodical, you did not have that insider's access and you did not have a right to comment for the rest of us. So there was there was this tension of making it very democratic that, I mean, it took a lot of time for influencers to get to where they are today, where it's accepted that you will have a um, valuable point of view. It's not just opinion, it's a valuable point of view. So I think it's a really interesting um, way to look at how even broadcast has changed, how people get their information, and why an influencer has the right to share something which is basically opinion um, as information, like as, as credible as, let, let's say, an International Herald Tribune or, or, or another kind of reputable news outlet. So that's what I find is interesting, this, this sense that we are no longer being so um, critical about where we get our information from or for. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I think with the, the shift and, you know, the avenue of the social media, it definitely changed everything. Whereas before the information was printed and whatnot, and if you were really curious, you would know which magazine to buy to get the latest news. Whereas the social media platforms now, it's a very aesthetic-based uh, platform. Therefore, um, this, you know, our generation and the new generation are very... Uh, um, comfortable with that rapid information flow so they play with that and I think it's up to us to be critical as well as to who we do think is influencers and who we do think are sort of like you know trolling the internet and whatnot for lack of a better word but I do think that the internet definitely changed you know what an influencer is and even Again, it goes back to the accessibility of the information and how fast you are to grasp it and re-inject it back in the pool of information. I think you bring up an important point, which is what is an influencer? And you might not have the same approach to that as you know, a brand like Aldo, which is probably more traditional in the use of influencers. Mm -hmm. What is an influencer to Essence? I mean, to be honest, it's really not a model that we use. Um, we've been, um, for the past two years, we've been putting a lot of effort on our editorial content. Uh, all of the piece that we build um, is, you know, look like produced in-house, and this is something that we really wanted to put forward and, and, and use that best practice. Um, we're working with an editor-in-chief that is based in Berlin from the magazine O32C, and we chose him expressly for his critical point of view on you know, the fashion industry, the art industry, politics, and whatnot. So already that partnership speaks a lot of the type of content that we want to produce and put out there and, and sort of like you know, uh, express our point of view, essentially. Um, so an influencer is not really that term. It's much more about the personality that we believe in and want to put forward based on their perspective and how they're challenging status quo on a global level. It's a person with influence, just maybe not in the way that 
we would discuss. Because of social media, you know, again, it goes back to that. There's so many influencers. So it's up to, you know, your point of view or your brand and what you believe in to select and create um, the, your community, essentially, that speaks to your own values and, and hopefully bring a new perspective to the industry. Carolina? Yeah, and I think brands are getting smarter and smarter every day. Um, and to me, there's, I hate the term influencer, we spoke about this, I consider them more like content creators. Um, but I think there's a fine line, you know, there's there's the influencers that will literally just post anything and everything you give them if they're getting paid. And there's like the influencers that actually take pride in their craft and they're offering the brand something else. And I think brands now more than ever, instead of just pushing out content via like 200 let's say influencers are partnering up for longer term relationships with a grouping that suits their vision and their aesthetic. And I feel like if you have something else to offer besides just looking pretty in a picture, so for example, we have Candace here, who's also like an amazing photographer. She brings, she's like, what? <laughs> no, but what I love is that she brings something different. She's, she's not in just her pictures. She's a photographer now. Like she's offering like an art perspective to it. And in terms of like my Instagram, like, yes, you'll see me in all of my pictures, but I'm also very specific and I take a lot of pride in my photography and I make sure that every client that I work with and every brand that I work with is handled with the same care as the next one. So, and I think brands appreciate it. I think they can tell when you actually put effort in when it's like an art form for you instead of just somebody that wants to make a quick buck and post like a selfie like this with like crest white strips, you know? But I think what's interesting in your case is that you're, you're talking about Candace, but it's the same thing for you. You, you know, Instagram and, and posting pictures of yourself with product is something that you do, but it's not all that you do. You've also developed another, you know, skill set, and that's part of your business as well. Well, I've, I've been doing hobby photography, like, way back in my Vancouver days. I used to photograph, like, Vancouver Fashion Week shows just for fun. And then once I started taking my Instagram more seriously, brands started noticing, and I got approached and asked if I actually do photography. And it kind of started off with one makeup brand. I did, like, a trial for them. I did some flat lace and some pretty pictures, and they liked it. And then from there, it kind of skyrocketed. And now brands are approaching me just to kind of apply the aesthetic that I use on my Instagram for their feeds. So I started collaborating with brands outside of just my personal Instagram and I create content for them and their social outlets. Which might have a longer lifespan. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, you're an influencer only for so long. I feel like there's always going to be somebody better and cooler and younger and more relevant than you. So I think the question is, how can you turn this into a long-term business? Like, how can you grow out of that and become, you know, like put it into like a long-term business strategy for yourself, which I'm doing, I guess, with my photography. So Debbie, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because it's difficult for brands to know how to navigate, you know, all these, I mean, there's a, there's a million different influencers, whether you're going to do it like an essence to really kind of go outside the box of what's trending on social media and really look at different industries and who are the best within that industry. How, how do brands in Quebec navigate that? Alors moi, je trouve que c'est un, un moment dans l'histoire qui est vraiment intéressant pour, pour les entrepreneurs, pour les gestionnaires, parce que tout le monde est à la recherche du nouveau modèle d'affaires, de la nouvelle façon de contacter le consommateur, d'avoir une, une pertinence, un contact, une connexion avec le consommateur. En même temps, tous les modèles d'affaires, de communication, de marketing sont en train de... Il y a vraiment une mutation, une évolution. Les fashion week, euh, tout le monde est en train de tester des nouveaux, des nouveaux modèles euh, et euh, la façon de communiquer aux consommateurs, mais à tous les niveaux de la chaîne de valeur d'une entreprise. Les c'est la même chose. Il y, a, il y a comme un continuum parce que quand on pense à ça, vous êtes 
tous des influenceurs. On en parlait aujourd'hui. Un influenceur, c'est quelqu'un que, à qui tu as confiance. You trust that person and you say that you, you, uh, you trust that what they recommend or what they, they're telling you that you should buy or try is, uh, is, is, a, good, is a good suggestion, right? So, um, donc, on est tous des influenceurs. Donc, il y a un, un niveau, tout un continuum d'influenceurs, du consommateur jusqu'à maintenant des influenceurs qui sont payés, qui sont devenus finalement de la pub traditionnelle. Puis, on le sait en tant que consommateur, le consommateur n'est plus, euh, les, le consommateur comprend, il est informé, il, il s'informe énormément, il arrive en boutique, il, il sait ce qu'il veut avant d'arriver, parfois même connaît plus le produit que le représentant en boutique. Donc, euh, donc les influenceurs, c'est vraiment, on teste des choses, puis je suis sûre que si on a la même conversation dans dix ans, mais ça va avoir vraiment encore beaucoup évolué. Euh, mais je pense que euh, ce qui est important, c'est ce que vous dites, c'est toute la, la, la notion de, de, de trust. C'est important maintenant, les gens, ils s'informent, puis ils sont courants, puis il faut avoir une connexion réelle avec euh, les consommateurs. I like that you bring up kind of trust again, and it brings us to talk about something that's, I feel like, has turned into such a buzzword, which is authenticity. You know, everyone wants to be authentic. Every brand wants to put forward authentic content. Um, and when we look at influencers, I think more and more the sense that it's turning into like traditional advertising. Um, just, you know, recently the FTC started cracking down really on on how people post uh, paid you know, paid images, you now have to hashtag ad. It has to be very clear. But then you look at somebody, you know, like Carolina, who might have a partnership for a year with a brand. Does that mean that every time you're interacting with them, you have to indicate this is somebody that's paying you? How, how does that model evolving um, change the way you might work with, with influencers? Vera? I don't think that there's anything wrong with, with it be say, saying that it's an ad. I think quite the contrary, that it's, it's Transparent. I don't know that authenticity is not, to your point, just another buzzword. Um, it doesn't mean anything anymore. That's how much people are using it. But I think, I think transparent and truthful and honest are still words that mean something. And it doesn't mean that your ad is going to be any less effective. I mean, remarketing, we talked about it. People know it's an ad. Yeah. It still works. So I don't think that the fact that you're writing ad changes anything. I think it just... Um, Again, if as a group, as a society community, we believe that it's important that you know that you're being exposed to advertisement, I think that that's a, probably a good thing. I also think your followers are smart enough now to know if it's a brand or a product that you would use day to day or if it's something that you're just getting paid for. So for me personally, I don't mind putting ad because I really try to work with brands and products that I truly believe in and I wouldn't just let's say it's like a jacket company like would I just wear this jacket today because I'm getting paid or is this a jacket that I would continuously wear for like the next like two seasons so I think that's really important too is like stay true to like who you really are because your audience is not stupid and they're gonna once they notice that you're faking it you're gonna lose the credibility that you have all right um so I do want to talk about kind of how this model is going to change. We're saying that already it's changed so much. Who are we going to look to to help influence our consumers tomorrow? It's a little bit loaded, but... <laughs> Google, what, what, do you, what can you tell us about this? You know, we're seeing that anybody can be an influencer, really. Um, it's, it's the population, and I think it's real people, real opinions that inform us. Think of all the ratings and reviews that we rely on to make our purchase decisions. 
Think about all the how-to videos and advice and tips and hacks that we turn to um, from a peer-to-peer -peer standpoint. Sometimes it's almost like the more authentic that video looks, again, that word authentic, but if it's like shot in low lighting in someone's basement, it's almost like I can identify with that person because that's me struggling in the basement with my you know, fix-it project. So I think in the definition of influencers will continue to expand um, and it'll be really rooted in how relatable um, the influencer is to the c consumer in their journey. It's a matter of a community. I think that uh, we went, you know, we are in an era where individualism is very uh, strong, and I feel like there's a shift towards community and collectiveness. Um, so I think it's not only a matter of like one voice, but rather a, a, a matter of a multiple voice that creates this, you know, uh, influence in a global matter, especially with what's going on in politics and whatnot. So I think in reaction to that, it's, you know, brands that are close to their you know, community and whatnot and really nourishes that will have a huge influence on the longer term. I really like this idea of peer-to-peer. -peer. It's similar to um, you know, when, you have, um, when you're in class when you're a kid and you turn around and say, hey, do you have a piece of paper or do you have a pen? Like, I like this idea of bringing it back to something that's very real um, and valuable. I think real and valuable will always have a place uh, for shoppers and consumers, if you give them real value and you help them solve a real challenge um, in an effective way, they will show you gratitude by uh, continuing to to purchase with you. I think as brands, sometimes we get we we get a little bit too clever. We try to get a little bit too too clever. And to Chris's point, sometimes what people are looking for is just a simple piece of advice that lets them solve whatever problem that they have at that moment in a fast and, and easy way. Debbie, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think uh, when um, when models are changing, it gives uh, everyone great opportunities, and it's the perfect time to test different things, and which is great because uh, you know that the les portes sont ouvertes et on peut essayer plein de nouveaux modèles d'affaires et euh, et l'originalité le, le, le côté privé intime euh, custom c'est à dire que maintenant on a tellement un contact direct avec le consommateur on a de l'information on lui demande ce qu'il veut donc la personne devient elle-même euh, son propre marketing, finalement, c'est elle qui se promouvoit pour toi. Euh, ben, on voit beaucoup de modèles, justement, qui sont en train de développer au niveau de euh, choisir toi-même des composantes d'un vêtement, du custom, du euh, fait pour toi selon, ou même des, euh, des envois qui sont faits des produits par les entreprises qui sont basés sur des joies antérieures. Donc, euh, tu, tu deviens ton propre influenceur en même temps. C'est intéressant de voir comment euh, chaque personne, euh, le rôle qu'il joue pour elle-même et pour son environnement dans le... Donc, je pense que dans les prochaines années, je pense que la technologie euh, va, nous, euh, va nous amener à différents niveaux. Parce que, par exemple, l'expérience au détail euh, va nous permettre d'exposer nos choix. Donc, on va devenir, par exemple, des influenceurs parce qu'on va pouvoir essayer quelque chose en magasin ou même pas l'essayer, mais devant le miroir puis essayer des choses juste en, en faisant euh, 
déplacer des différents morceaux. On va pouvoir exposer ça sur les réseaux sociaux, pouvoir s'exposer nos, nos, nos exposer nos préférences et tout ça. Et donc, on va devenir des influenceurs, mais virtuels en même temps. On va avoir nos avatars. Euh, donc, la technologie va faire qu'on va être des influenceurs, qui va faciliter l'influence. Mais en même temps, mais, il y a tout cet côté euh, euh, émotif, qualitatif, euh, euh, l'instinctif des entreprises qu'il ne faudra pas ou non plus euh, négliger. Donc, ça va être vraiment un équilibre entre le quantitatif, le numérique et vraiment les instincts des gens qui y travaillent. Donc, euh, je ne sais pas, c'est un autre volet qu'il faut explorer. Ce n'est euh, pas les mêmes réponses, mais euh, je pense qu'on va, on, on, on va tous devenir des, euh, des, euh, des vecteurs de changement. Ouais, individuellement. So I think yeah, the idea that we're kind of all going to become influencers in our own right because a lot of the choices that we're going to make are going to be based on kind of what we've done in the past, and that's that's also kind of driven by what we talked about before, which is data, um, and being able to kind of navigate that way. Um, I just want to check how we are for time. Ten minutes. So I do want to go uh, onto another topic, which is sustainability. I know that everyone's really excited about this one. Um, listen, there's a lot of aspects when we talk about sustainability, and we're going to try to cover the most important ones today, but there's really three that stand out. Um, the effects of fashion on the environment, the societal impacts uh, and ethics of the fashion production cycle, Uh, and that's where we think of things like Rana Plaza that happened in 2013, where, you know, over a thousand people died and, and over 2,500 people were, were injured. Um, and all of that has a real impact on our collective conscience. And then the final aspect, which is sustainability in a broader term of the industry in itself. You know, how can fashion survive and, and transform given all of the things that we've talked about today and how they're going to keep changing? Um, So I do want to start by talking about the uh, environmental impact that fashion has. And, you know, if we had had this conversation two years ago and we wanted to have a discussion, a frank discussion on sustainability, we would have had to have experts on sustainability. Uh, but given, you know, none of the people here today actually work <laughs> uh, on sustainability specifically, but because we all work within the fashion industry and because we're all consumers, we don't have a choice but to be conscious of this and to ask those questions. So I just want to preface this by saying, you know, it's okay to just give your opinion as a consumer. Um, so I do want to talk about the environment. I don't know if you guys are aware to what point fashion has an impact on the environment. It's the second most polluting industry after oil. Um, it uses the most water after agriculture. And basically, I have the thing here, 100 billion items produced worldwide uh, each year. Three out of five of those end up in a landfill or incinerated within 12 months of its production. So it's huge. It's really like a, a big topic that we need to, to think about. Um, So my first question to my wonderful panel today is, does sustainability have an impact on your choices as, you know, an influencer or, sorry, a content creator or a brand uh, or a company? What kind of role does it play in your day to day, if any? <laughs> I'll speak for myself more on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Um, full dis full disclaimer, be because this is, I think this is more opinion than yeah. fact. Um, 
But I have a sense that as a business, you look to you look first to satisfy your consumer. So one of the things that we see is that the younger they are, the more they care. So the younger they are, they, the more they seem to be concerned about the world that they live in. Um, but in terms of priorities, what a consumer will look for, uh, at least the consumers we were talking to, is value. So there are trade-offs consumers make when they make choices. And if value and, cons uh, and let's say, long-range impact on, 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 let's say, the environment is another, and you were to build in the true economic cost of what it actually costs, short, medium, and long-term, and you were to pass that price back on to the consumer, I would be interested to see the choices that they make because they choose with their pocketbook, so our consumers choose for us. So I think it's difficult for a company to think beyond that. When I'm in front of my consumer and I look to satisfy them, if what they're looking for primarily is value, then I will try to provide them as much value as I can, and I'll make the necessary trade-offs in my value chain to be able to pass that savings back on to them. So that's kind of the, the, the it becomes very challenging. So I, I believe that we're going to have the answer when it makes business sense to be sustainable. So it, it needs to intersect. In your opinion, it basically has to be dictated by the consumer. Well, it needs to make it needs to be a, a there will be a point at which it will make business sense for it to be sustainable. But I don't I don't think it's now. Anybody else? Uh, I'll I'll respectfully push on that. <laughs> if I could use that language, I think that if we don't, as an industry, get ahead of it, it's going to happen to us. So if we look at food. Um, and packaged food, that's going through a revolution. Um, you know, if you were a cereal brand and you're a cereal manufacturer, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have imagined that people would not no longer walk down the cereal aisle. And at the time, if you were, if the, if the business idea said you need to go organic, um, you need to go healthy, you would say, you know what? The consumer is not asking for that. It's too expensive. They're not willing to pay two times the price. Look at where we are now. Um, and I, and then we're seeing it happen in many industries, finance with fintech coming up, robo-advisors cutting out the middleman. You know, we're seeing so many industries being turned around because people want things to be democratized or done the right way or transparently. And I think as a fashion industry, we have to like start accelerating because one day it's, you know, the consumer is going to flip over overnight. Um, and I point to a, a couple brands that are doing really cool things like Everlane. Have you guys heard of Everlane? They have transparent pricing. They literally will, on some items, let you choose the price you want to pay. They give you a few options and they tell you like, if you pay this price, we make zero profit. And so we can't grow as a company. If you want to pay $10 more, this is how that $10 will be reinvested back in our company. And they do everything fair trade. Um, another brand uh, started off Kickstarter. It's like Tom Cridland. He's, he has this whole line of product called 30 year sweatshirts and 30 year pants like he's designing stuff that will last it costs maybe a little bit more but it'll last and it's backed by a 30 year guarantee and i think these brands are seeing where we as a population are going to be in five ten years um, who knows how much faster so i would say like we don't have to flip the supply chain today but we better be incubating and testing because we don't want to be the ones left in the dirt in the dust sorry <laughs> or dirt
I think it's interesting that you say it's about incubating and about about kind of iterating forward, but um, in an industry that is right now challenged with a lot of pressures, like declining traffic, all kinds of trends that make it make business very challenging. How do you tell the consumer, hey, I'm trying to reinvent myself. I'm having a really hard time here. Like it's a very difficult proposition, especially if you're um, an established business and you're making these kind of big bets, which fundamentally challenge everything about who you are and how you've been for however long you've been. So it's it's an interesting time because I think a lot of these questions will, will start to get solved. But I think it's about also making those big bets because we, we don't know. I understand what you're saying. Bo both your opinions are um, really relate to me because um, if you survey people, uh, they would say they want to buy a, a product from a company that you know is uh, socially and um, eco ecologically uh, uh, responsible. Uh, but they don't. They're not willing to pay the price when it comes to so. Uh, And in the fashion industry, it's one of the only industry that has not had inflation of product for the last 20, 30 years. So for example, a t-shirt that sold for $20 like in the 80s is still $20. So the the uh, but all the uh, the material, the supplies, the salaries, the um, les loyers uh, tout augmente. Donc c'est difficile pour les entreprises parce que là il y a, y a il n'y a plus de marge où couper. Maintenant, la production a été transférée en Asie. Donc, il y a cette réalité-là de l'entreprise qui ne peut pas augmenter ses prix tant que ça. Puis en même temps, euh, le consommateur qui n'est pas prêt à payer. Euh, C'est le fast fashion aussi. On est habitué d'avoir des produits qui ne sont pas chers. Donc, on, dès qu'on est... On en parlait dès qu'il y a un petit un trou qu'on le jette au lieu de le réparer. Il n'y a plus cette culture de réparation des vêtements, de, de conservation des vêtements. Puis en même temps, c'est vrai que une entre, les entreprises doivent réagir rapidement parce que ça ne sera pas très long que sur l'étiquetage, euh, puis on le voit sur « on food we sit on the labeling euh, »,« soon » the companies will be rated on you know, their le développement leur, leur, leur responsabilité écologique, sociale, leur implication communautaire dans leur société, ce qu'ils redonnent, le respect des employés. Tout ça va être comme évalué. Il va y avoir vraiment une fiche pour chaque entreprise. Et le consommateur euh, est conscient maintenant, on le voit in the food industry, we see it, puis les consommateurs vont... Euh, voter avec leur portefeuille, comme on dit, donc à tous les jours, avec des choix de consommation. Et si les entreprises n'entreprennent pas cette, ce, ce virage-là rapidement et développent pas des modèles d'affaires qui viennent supporter euh, ces décisions-là, ben ça se peut que ces entreprises-là ne puissent plus euh, avoir le, le vote du consommateur. Puis pour euh, revenir à Chris's example, um, what's Gildan's company that they just bought? The American Apparel, to your point, what they do is they, they give, they say one t-shirt, this was, this was produced in the, in Asia, it's $19. This was, this one was produced in, in America, and it's $40. And the consumer chooses which one he wants to pay. And these are little. Do we know what the results of that are? No, not yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure the company knows, <laughs> but uh, it's going to come and it's, it's testing those little uh, reflexes and, Uh, we'll have to uh, find new models to be able to... Uh 
I think what you guys are all kind of saying is transparency. You know, you're saying that as the world evolves, the world of fashion, we're going to have to be more and more transparent because that's what the consumer is going to demand from us. Um, and the question is, are, are we ready to do that? If your business model doesn't allow that, uh, you'll come at one point, well, you'll... It's like the, la, le virage numérique. Si ton entreprise a pas... Les entreprises québécoises qui ont pas pris le virage numérique euh, dans les dernières décennies, mais beaucoup ont fermé. Donc, euh, je pense que c'est la prochaine vague qui s'en vient. Et il va falloir euh, aussi évaluer l'équilibre entre le numérique et le, le traditionnel, le, les, 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 les espaces physiques, mais en même temps, réévaluer tout, euh, tout la toute la responsabilité sociale des entreprises. I think that's that's really interesting and will bring me to my last question, which is, because we're out of time, um, basically, you know, you're saying that it used to be the digital transformation. Now we're looking at probably something more around sustainability and being uh, responsible. When you guys look at each of your businesses and your brands, where do you see yourselves in five, 10 years? What problems would you like to solve and, and where would you like to be? Also a loaded I question. I think five, ten, five, ten years seems like an eternity. Honestly, yeah. it seems so far away. Um, even like just in terms of like business planning or business cycle, everything is becoming faster and shorter. Um, so it's probably like we're talking about five, ten years, but it might be two. It seems like it's um, uh, the, that the curve is exponential. It's it's going fast at an increasingly fast rate. So. I, I don't think it's going to be five to ten years. It's probably going to happen. There will be a tipping point that's close. So I talked about this crossover of when it makes business sense to to do these things. It's probably closer than what we than what we know, but it's not now. I don't think. So let me reframe that question. What kind of progress do you want to see? Dans les, dans les dix prochaines années, on va avoir des gros changements. On va avoir des gros changements au détail, l'expérience au détail. C'est très, très important de développer une histoire de, avec ta marque, mais la, la, la proposer et bien la communiquer au détail sur le numérique. Euh, toute l'automatisation va beaucoup, beaucoup changer l'industrie. Il euh, faut voir que dans 10, 20 ans, on, on pourrait devenir aussi performant qu'en Asie pour la production, par exemple, parce que ça va tout être des robots. Alors, il faut décider en tant que société euh, comment on fait la production. Ben, pas tout partout, là, mais je veux dire, il va y avoir beaucoup de modèles où le, la, le, dans la manufacture, ça va devenir des robots. Alors, il faut décider en, en tant qu'industrie, est-ce qu'on investit dans la robotisation et euh, pour être compétitif, parce que ça se peut que si on ne le fait pas, on ne sera plus compétitif dans 10-20 ans. Et euh, en même temps, c'est des questions très morales, parce que beaucoup de marques québécoises euh, basent beaucoup sur le talent, sur euh, les compétences, le savoir-faire manuel. Donc, c'est des grosses décisions très déchirantes. Euh, puis tout ce qui est euh, sustainability, la responsabilité sociale, euh, ça va être très, très important dans les projets. Puis tout le respect euh, de, euh, du talent et des, des employés, des, des entre. Je pense que ça va, il va y avoir un gros, gros, gros changement dans l'industrie, parce qu'on a parlé de sustainability, puis de toute l'image, mais tout ce qui se passe à l'intérieur des manufactures, puis tout ça, il y a une, une, tellement une perception négative. Euh, je pense que les entreprises qui vont respecter leurs employés, qui vont leur donner des belles conditions, qui vont les permettre de s'épanouir, de grandir, d'apprendre, de se développer dans une industrie qui est 
hyper euh, excitante et pleine de créativité et de passion et qui fait partie de notre ADN ici au Québec et à Montréal. Mais je pense que c'est des entreprises qui vont avoir du succès dans les 10-20 prochaines années. Carolina? What I would like to see? Um, well, it's, it's tough because ignorance is bliss and I feel like a lot of us as consumers, when we go into a big chain, we feel like there's so much information out there now and if somebody's doing something unethically, they're going to get put on blast. So maybe a lot of us just assume that, you know, if I walk into a Zara, everything they do is ethical, but do we really know what their practices are? And what I would like to see more is, Jen actually told me to watch a documentary, which I did today. It's called The Real Cost. True Cost. Oh, The True Cost, exactly. And it's basically about fashion and uh, human labor and the environment. And it really puts a new perspective on things. So it, it educated me quite a lot, actually, because I never used to think about the cotton t-shirts that I wore. But the documentary actually covers how a lot of these cotton fields are very chemical and they're, they have pesticides in them and how it's horrible for us to wear them and what they, how they affect uh, human labor. So it'd be nice to see platforms like Netflix and all these other big media conglomerates do more research documentaries on this because we're overloaded with the food stuff. Like there's so many food things out there. Like let's focus on the fashion and the garment industry and like let's get more perspective on that and more insight. I mean, this, I think this crowd is a kind, you're here tonight because you're open and you want to listen and learn and be challenged. I would say that deep down, if, we're, if we reflect on ourselves, we all want to be part of a business or an organization that is making the world better. I think with this group, I can, I can say that comfortably. I think if you're currently at a company or an organization that is not on that path, and we can all be honest about that as well, you, for sure, you can be betting that someone else is building a company that's doing the right thing that will disrupt what you're doing. Right? And I work at Google, and we are in touch with a lot of startups that are doing a lot of great work, and they're using innovation, technology, data, testing to take down the top dog who's been at the, you know, the, the king of the castle for a long time, running things in a very traditional format. And we're literally in the time right now where things are getting disrupted massively. So if you're not feeling like your organization or company is on that path to making the world better and growing business, like you, got, you have to start that change because somebody else is cooking that like right now. Gangs like yes. no, exactly. But to that point, I do like I do feel that it's a, it's like a thing now where like okay, being sustainable is sort of like being aware and being you know like in touch with society and conditions and whatnot. But then it's about like dis deciding what actions you're actually going to take and how you're going to take them. Like if influencing people from word of mouth for you know like a, a radical point of view and and doing an event that is unexpected would it have more meaningful impact than doing a marketing blast? I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Like what does that actually means to us? And therefore you know take actions that that make sense. Um, you know at essence is something like where we don't produce garments and we don't produce and we don't design so we are partnering with you know key luxury groups that are very active in sustainability um, so so to that point we're still studying the case and, and trying to better understand um, what it means to us essentially well thank oh did you want to you choose the brands you work with uh, on that uh... I think it's I, well So being, you know, part of that community, therefore, we sort of support it. But having our own point of view on the entire 
uh, subject is still something that we're we're looking into. But I agree with you in terms of like you know um, the employment and really encouraging the talents and the human connection that is sometimes taken for granted, especially in a high performance industry. I think embracing that um, is definitely, um, hopefully, I would want to think that it's going to be a long lasting uh, celebration at the end of the day. Well, thank you all. You've given us a lot to think about. 